Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Take your seat, grab your Bible, turn to Matthew 15. Uh, Today it's the gospel. Jesus Christ confronts the gospel confronts. Before we dive in, I just want a, a picture show of a few of our church family, uh, my wife and her dad with the white hat. I've never seen him wear a hat like that in my entire life. Lisa and Evelyn Dykstra and the Mossens are over in Israel. They went on a, a tour guide with uh, the Lutzers, and they are over there. They come back on Tuesday. So when they come back and you see them, Make sure and go up to them and ask all of your biblical geography questions that you have about where's what and how does it all work, because they will be prepped and ready to ask for that. But uh, just been an exciting time for them there, and I'm looking forward to having my wife back. That will be good. Well, we're in uh, Matthew 15, and uh, you may have heard the statement of someone say about maybe someone who's a bit unique or different that... They come from a cloth of a different, uh, different type, uh, or maybe someone who's a little further on the eccentric scale of things in personality-wise. You may have heard it say that they are from an altogether different planet. Uh, and I'm sure in Jesus' day that people were saying those kinds of things about him. Um, he's a cut from a different cloth. He is from an altogether different planet. But I think one of the things we've been realizing from Matthew and seeing about him, I think maybe a better way that it could be termed is uh, Jesus is from and for an altogether different kingdom. He's from an altogether different kingdom and he is about that kingdom. And we've seen how the kingdom of this world coming in contrast to the kingdom that Christ comes from, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, And when we see those two come together while we're watching that unfold right before us, last Sunday was Matthew 14, and we talked about how the the gospel, Jesus Christ, in contrast, and uh, we saw that with Herod, and uh, Herod was kind of defined as a life taker. That's what this world does. It takes life. Um, Jesus was the kingdom compassion giver. And what we're going to see today, I think it's so interesting, the movement and how Matthew, the human author, pulls this together. Now he moves into chapter 15 today, and we're actually going to see the kingdom compassion giver confront the kingdom of this world. And uh, let's take a look at it. Let me begin uh, with this. He confronts the hearts of this world, verses 1 and 2, John 15, or we're in Matthew, aren't we? Yeah, that's right, get my Gospels right. Matthew 15. Then uh, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, uh, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Uh, For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
Now, this sets up the whole movement of the 20 verses we're going to be covering today. So let me spend a little bit of time with these. One, the Pharisees and the scribes. We've met them a number of times. We've met the Pharisees in chapters 3, 5, 9, 12, and here in 15. We've met the scribes in chapters 2, 9, 12, and 15. So we're getting to know these boys and getting familiar with them. Uh, if, if for you in your mind, I think a very simplistic way, because I'm just a regular guy, kind of very simplistic, love that. If you were to try and understand what are Pharisees and scribes, Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, if you will. The scribes are the religious lawyers. The religious leaders, the religious lawyers. Now, both do teaching, but in different kinds of ways um, in this. But we see these two here together, uh, and we will again as we move along, along with the Sadducees that are kind of another part of that group of people. So we find here in verses 1 and 2 that the Pharisees and the scribes, they team up together in Jerusalem. You see that? They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, uh, this is clearly a representative delegation that's being sent. Let me kind of say it this way, maybe in modern terms. It's kind of like the big denominational heads pool together, and they're going uh, not to do kind of just some pastoral visit, This is not like these boys are walking through and they just happen to be the area and they come upon Jesus with what's taking place. Uh, They, uh, we clearly get the idea that they are pulled together in Jerusalem and and the leaders and the lawyers together, they are lawyered up and, and they are going to see Jesus specifically. That tells you so much there of what's going on as we've been moving along with things. And they're going there, and we've learned already about them that they are Jesus' principal opponents. In other words, they are not for him, okay? And we've already seen in a, a chapter 9 that they in, accused Christ of being empowered by Satan. We saw in chapter 12 where we're told that they're actually plotting how to destroy Jesus. So they're not going to learn from him. They're not going to kind of even, hey, like let's have dinner together and see if we can work something out. We clearly know that these guys are going to go after him and confront him and try and take him down. There's no question about it. So they're lawyered up to do this. And what is the issue that they bring to the table? The issue that they say in verse 2 is, why do your disciples break their tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, you and I read that, and, and we think wash your hands is a hygiene issue. That is not what they're talking about here. This is not like, okay, kids, it's time for dinner. Go wash your hands. You know, splash, 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 you know, whatever. Get tons of soap and, you know, or two seconds of washing. And then they're, like, okay, now we're clean. It's not a hygiene issue. It's not that. Say not. Okay, what this is, is this is a ceremonial thing that is actually built out of the Old Testament. I don't have time to go into all details, and I don't think that's important for it today, just to know that. It comes out of the the Torah, the Levitical law, that that the the priests were supposed to do this hand-washing as a ceremonial cleansing of what's taking place. It's a traditional thing that's happening here. Now, let me say this. Traditions or rituals can be tremendous memory tools and uniting tools. I mean, you know what I'm talking about with coming together at Christmas or holidays, or maybe you have like the tradition of going somewhere for vacations in the summers. 
I mean, even as followers of Christ, we have tradition. I mean, even this is Hebrews 10, 24. Let us not give up the gathering together, the assembling together of God's people. Uh, We have these kinds of things. And if traditions, rituals, they can be tremendous uniting tools and tremendous uh, memory tools. However, traditions can also just have this way about them that they become this, what I'm going to call, misguided relationship measurements. They become misguided relationship measurements. And this is what was happening in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the things of the Old Testament that they had put together, because you can see it when they make this statement, why do you break the, the, the tradition of the elders? What they're referencing is, is they're referencing what a, a written book of traditions that have been built up upon year after year, rabbi after rabbi, leader after leader, assembling all these things. And what God had put together had grown into this volume of all these things that you're supposed to do. And so they are not referencing, hey, why do your disciples not do what Old Testament Torah says? They are referencing the Mishnah. They are referencing what the tradition of the elders had become. They are referencing not God's word. They are referencing something as in their view had become over God's word. And it is out of that doing of all of these assignment of tasks of things that they were viewing a relationship with God. Maybe you grew up with that. Maybe you grew up going to church or in a family or in a structure to where everything became about what you did on the outside. You know what I'm talking about, the lists of do's and don'ts. Hey, and some of those are wonderful. So some of those are God-directed and God-commanded. But then sometimes they get to a point to where our lists of do's and don'ts not only get way beyond God's list of do's and don'ts, but become the measuring tools of what relationship with Yahweh, with God looks like. And we just become fake. Let me say this. It is clear here in the text as we're going to see this that Jesus hates fake. All right? Now, they're coming, they're addressing Jesus, and one last thing before we go on. (laughs) I read this, and I just go, dudes, of all the potential theological, pragmatic issues you could bring up, you bring up ceremonial washing your hands? Like, man, you are starting low on the pole. And, and this is your first go get him? And, and let's like attack him? And you're even lawyered up? And this is the issue you bring on the table? Like, come on, what's with that? Listen, that fact tells you how absolutely out of control things had gotten. Because that issue was the issue they bring up, and I'm telling you, they would not have brought in a low ball issue. They viewed that issue so big that it was good to lead off with. And usually you don't lead off with your worst item. You lead off with strong players. And this is just representative of how off track they are. Okay, so I wonder what Jesus is going to do. Here we go. The kingdom confront, the kingdom <laughs> compassion giver confronts. Watch this. Verse 3. And he answered them. That's cool. I wonder what he's going to say. Okay. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
One word comes to mind. Bam! <laughs> I, I, I hear, hear Jesus right out of the gate just goes to the heart of the matter with what's happening here. And what he says is, one sentence, and he nails it. What he is saying here is, here's what's happened to you guys. You have taken what God gave, and you have assembled this into a massive list of book structure on what you're to do and don't. You have taken the core of it and taken it to a point that's so crazy, and you have put this above God's word. So what's happening in the day is really, God's word is really not the driving source. The driving source behind them is what the traditions have come about to be. And Jesus sees it and he nails it. The compassion giver is not just out there giving hugs and kisses. When it comes to his truth, do you see? He's like, I'm messing with this man. I'm going straight at it. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And, and then Jesus here is like, oh, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Here we go. Verse 4. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he, not honor, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. <laughs> okay, let me just sum what's going on here, okay, in, in time. What's happening here is Jesus is grabbing one of the Ten Commandments, commandment number five. He's one out of the big ten, all right? We're in basketball season. So he's grabbing out of the big ten here. He grabs number five, honor your father and mother. Uh, honor. By the way, just a quick parenting conference moment here. Parents, when your children grow up, they are no longer to obey you. They are to honor you, but not obey you. They are their own entity. Genesis 2.24, leave, cleave, weave. And in this, sometimes adult children know this. When you are aged and you are out of the house, uh, you don't have to obey your parents, but you are to honor them. Now, I'm not getting into this, it's not a parenting conference today, but I just want to know Jesus brings this thing up because even in that day, they were getting messed up with this. Now, what was happening in the day? So he's talking to adult children, and I don't mean that as a slam on them. He's using the illustration. They are adult children, and he's saying, listen, guys, here's what you have done. God said to honor your father and mother, and what you have done is you have gone to the Old Testament, and you've grabbed out of the Old Testament the part that God says that you can declare korban. Korban is a term, it's a transliteration for the Hebrew word that means offering, and so what you've done is you've gone to God's word, you've grabbed this where you go, I'm going to korban that, that's going to be an offering unto the Lord, and you have come to use that as a way of uh, uh, getting out of using your assets to care for your parents. Remember, no social security, no nursing homes, 
okay? And we're not getting into that situation today, but this is the situation that's at hand. There was a thing that God wanted for adult children to be lovingly honoring their parents by coming alongside and aiding in the care for them. And so what was happening is, is I mean, listen, you know adult children, we have this going on right now where uh, my m- mother-in-law is in a nursing home. My, f- my stepdad used to be in a nursing home before he died, and we just know the bearing that that takes, the situations that it takes, and what was happening is, is even the assets that it takes. And what was happening is, is adult children were coming to the place to where it's like, I don't like this fact that my parents are sucking all of my asset base. Get it? So what they would do is they put together this structure, well, you just corbon it. In other words, you corbon your car, you corbon your bank account, you corbon whatever it is, and that now is set aside as an offering to the Lord. And that now comes out of the asset base for you to be able to honor your parents by coming alongside and loving them. What were they doing? They were using God's word to avoid God's word. They were using God's word to manipulate it and rework it, to add to it, to stretch it, to conveniently make it an asset saver. And Jesus knows it. And I just wonder if with some of these boys, if some of them were doing it themselves. And Jesus is like, let me take you to the mat. Here's what's going on. You are taking your things, and you may think that they're based out of God's word, but they have gotten so far stretched from God's word that you have now taken them into a place that is the heart of what God intended is not even there anymore. And you are using that to establish it as your means of measuring your relationship with Yahweh. And listen, guys, that is wrong. And Jesus is confronting him about that. He's letting him know what's happening with it. It's God commanded, but you say in putting it over the top. Let me just bring it into current day here. We can do the same. We can do the same. We can take the truths and the commandments of God and we can build upon them, and we used to have our own, some of our own family rules, and we told some of our kids, well, not some, but all of our kids, <laughs> we told our two children that, listen, we have family rules that not every family has, but these are our rules, and we lay and let them know. Listen, when you get older, you may not have these rules, but at this point, at this time, while you're living in our house, and you're taking all our money, <laughs> these, these are the guidelines for in our house. And, and, but when those become God's laws, we get off track. And being able to decipher out what is biblical truth to what is that ability to be able to have practical applications, I'm just saying let's be careful with what's going on. And I say that because of what he says in verse 7 when he just directly nails them in two words, you hypocrites. Sometimes when you see things like that, don't you just go, yeah, man, lay it out. And he did. Let me just make this one statement, then we'll move on. He was not addressing just Joe Blows. 
This is not like Jesus was addressing like some other local pastor. Like it wasn't like Jesus is addressing me in this or you know some whatever in this whole scheme of things. This is the Jesus is addressing the top dogs in the entire structure in how the Israelites worship God, the top boys, and he called them hypocrites. Ooh, e. <laughs> I love that. Verse 7, you hypocrites, and then he goes to the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. That's the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue, what's happening here is Jesus is bringing the heart of the issue all the way back. This hasn't just been back there situation. This is actually carried on in the decades and the centuries to go, and their problem is now your problem as he's addressing them. By the way, notice how personal this is to the Lord. This people's honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. He's not saying, I wish they would be more fulfilling out of the various laws and and, and things that I wish they would do on it all so that then I could have them stacked up and looking nice and all dressed out, hot and good, religious. No, 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 he's not doing that. He's addressing this in this whole fact that it's like, listen, I want relationship and you are not doing relationship with me. In your mind, you think you are, but there is none going on. Now do we understand why Jesus said, many will call me Lord, Lord, and yet I never knew you. Because in our own little world, we think there's relationship going on, but when Jesus looks at it, there's no relationship going on. There's just all kinds of religious stuff happening. Mm. the compassion giver speaks truth and he confronts. What's he addressing? He's addressing the heart. He's addressing the heart. What is the heart? The heart is the inner person. The heart is the control center of one's being. We, we generally, in our culture, we go to the heart. And that makes sense because like the heart's <laughs> physically there. But actually, in biblical times, the heart was more the entire inner person, almost to the bowels, they would describe. And I think in our present culture, it's more the heart is here. It's the control center in our our thinking. It's kind of the thing where everything happens, the inner you, where you think what goes on inside of you, how you process things, what takes place, and know this, everything comes out of what happens right here. There is nothing that you and I do not do or say that doesn't come from here. You know, sometimes we we, we think, why did I just do that? I have no idea. Why did I just do that? If you stop and you were to track back to your heart what's taking place, you would know exactly why you said that or why you did that. Because you would begin doing the mechanics on what was going on in your heart, what you were wanting, what you were desiring on that, and it is out of the desire of what you want that you Okay, that's why we just spewed those words because of what was going on in my heart. 
That's why I just did that action because of what I was wanting in my soul. And Jesus is addressing them and saying, boys, listen to me. This is not about ceremonial hand washing. This is about your heart. And then verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, oh friends, this is so cool. We're gonna see in verse 20, Jesus is in the same conversation. I think in the setting, actually what's happening is these, these leaders and lawyers are coming and they're trying to confront Jesus with this whole thing and Jesus addresses them and I think everything that he just said, people around him are hearing. Can you imagine being around and you hear Jesus addressing the, the top dogs that are lawyered up, addressing them as hypocrites and you're back there going... And then in this, he turns and he calls the people. Hey, everyone, come to me. Come to me. And look what he says. Hear and understand. By the way, we go real past by those kinds of statements, but know this. What Jesus said, he intended to be understood. And it can be understood. Oftentimes we think that Jesus tells these things that it's like no one can understand. He's just speaking spiritual gobbledygook. No, hear and understand. Verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. In this, I love what Morris says. He says, to say that nothing that goes into the mouth defiles a person, cut across all the rules of defilement to which they had been accustomed to all their lives. We don't understand here when Jesus, what he's, Morris is trying to help us understand here is that, is that when Jesus just said what he said, that no, 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 it's not about what's out here that defiles you. It's not about that, that you did that wrong or you didn't do that uh, a certain thing right. It, it, it's what's defiling you is what's inside of you, your heart. That was a mind blow that turned their entire understanding of God inside out and upside down. They lived in a system of rules and guidelines. And the more you followed the rules, the more close you were to God. And he is saying, out with that. It's all about what's going on in your heart. That's the core of it. That's the important thing. The heart is what drives everything. It's who you are. It's what counts to God. And it's what Jesus is confronting and their hearts were far from him. I'll tell you, Jesus is basically doing a cardiac diagnosis here. And let me just give four passages of scripture that diagnose our hearts. And get ready, because it's not pretty. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind is great in all the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh. Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, 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 not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is, in, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and mi- misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fallen short the glory of God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins. It's sins upon sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Man, Pastor Doug, you are being a massive Dougie Downer today. Here's what oftentimes happens. We want to get quickly out of the uncomfortable. And I don't want to, listen, hear me loved ones, I do not want to be that guy who just wants to stay in the muck. Because that's not the whole story. But here in the text for today, the text does keep us there. And I'm going to. And I want for you to know this. It's a bit of a Dougie Downer today. Next Sunday comes the solution. Let me say this, if we don't understand the reality of the depravity of our heart, we will never understand the gravity of the greatness of God. And sometimes we want to move so quickly past the depravity that we actually end up missing the gravity of the grandness. And Jesus is loving on them by trying to help them understand their their deathly condition. And if they don't grasp their deathly condition, they have no need for the life-giving answer. So I'm not trying to be a downer and I don't want to stay here, but he does in this text today, so we're going to look at our hearts. I've got to keep moving Jesus calls, notice he calls the people to them. It's not about what's on the outside. It's what defiles the person on the inside. And then here Jesus clarifies. Notice there's another shift of people. Then the disciples came to him. Uh, by the way, I just, if, if you were doing a, a work on this text, and I think a work through the Gospels, you will see that Jesus ministers uniquely to different, if I can say, back to the parables, to the different soils of people that he's talking to. I'm telling you, with with the Pharisees and the scribes, I call them soil number one, hard-hearted. I mean, I'm telling you, man, he doesn't spend a lot of time with them, and when he does, he loves them by trying to help them get out of their hardness. When he talks to the crowds, it's, it's an open invitation and here now we have the disciples. Watch this. This is, this is funny. Then the disciples that came to him said, uh, Jesus, uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? 
that, it just shows us how oblivious we are. And it also shows us how absolutely staggering what Jesus did was. He told the delegation that they are hypocrites. <laughs> and the disciples are just like aghast. Like, I don't know if you know this, Jesus, because I know you don't know a whole lot, and I know you really don't get people, but do you realize you just offended them? <laughs> oh, I got a kick out of that. Gives me hope. And so he answers. It kind of sounds like just a very blase British kind of answer. Sorry, British, but... But I think in this, Jesus just had to be like in his, in his own heart just laughing at this. Verse 13, anyway. He says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. I'll tell you, this is just a, a scathing contempt statement for fake. The Pharisees and the scribes prided themselves, think about it, in their enlightenment. And Jesus tells the disciples, here's what's really going on. They are so blind, they don't even know they're blind. And they are blind leading the blind. By the way, all of it puts culpability back on the Pharisees and the scribes for themselves. And it also puts culpability on anyone who listens. Friends, truth matters. Truth matters. And they are not giving truth. And Jesus says, listen, if it's not rooted in the Lord, it's going to be uprooted one day. Let's be people of truth. Let's be people of the word. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Love Peter. And so Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? I don't laugh so much with that one. I actually think it's wise to pause and just kind of go, the Lord's serious about his growing in him. Understand, the disciples have been with Jesus now for about two years. Two years. They've seen him teach. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen all this kind of stuff. And after two years, Jesus is kind of like making a statement. Hey, come on, you guys. Come on, you guys. There comes a point in time where you should be getting more than milk. And friends, in Christ, none of us are perfect. I mean, all of us are broken. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 that I read, he's referencing two believers, and remember, you are broken, but then it goes on to, but God, but yet in it, Paul even talks about himself as being, it's like, I want to do what's right, but it's like, I can't do what's right. And he goes, none of us are perfect, but there is a reality that we should be growing and maturing in Christ. And in this, if you're stuck... As we heard a testimony earlier, 
If you're at a place where you're just not seeing fruit, I just want to lovingly come alongside and go, listen, my friend, we're called to not only know Christ, but grow in Christ. And we grow in Christ by this. Men and women of the word become men and women of the word. Men and women in the word become men and women of the word. Are you still also without understanding? Do you not see that whenever, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? By the way, I hate to say this, but a literal translation of that could be goes into the mouth, into the stomach, into the latrine. You got the picture? Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, he brings it all the way back, does not defile anyone. I've already said that in past weeks that parables are there to draw us in. And I don't think this is a parable that I need to do much more explaining with, other than I would say this, I really want to encourage you this week to dive into what Jesus is talking about there in verses 17 through 20, and meditate on it, consider it, think it through. What goes in, what's in is what comes out. And look at your life, think it back, track back. Why did I just lose my anger with the kids right there? Because I wanted peace. And I'm going to put my peace among what, above what I should do, and so I'm going to. Wah. Why did I just go there and do that? Because of what I was wanting in my heart, and what I was desiring in my heart, and there's a war in our hearts. Am I going to choose to do what is honoring to the Lord, or am I going to choose to do what I desire to do? It's in the heart that the battle's taking place. Every moment, every day, all the time, we do what we do because we think what we think. And we think what we think because we want what we want. What do you want? Who do you want? That's the core question. We are broken at our core. Sin has taken origin in our very innermost being. And that's a hard pill for us to swallow. In, in theological terms, it's the noetic effect of sin. Even redeemed people war in our soul for what we want to do. What if there's a cardiac specialist in this room today and he or she could just kind of gaze across the room and could do a diagnosis on what's going on with your physical heart. And what if he or she, that cardiac specialist, could look across and, and, and looked at you and could see and could diagnose the fact that it's like you have from birth been born with a, 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 a broken heart and you are on a course to death. 
Would you want to know? Would you want to know? Because what's really happening here is Jesus is doing just that. Jesus is looking out and he's acknowledging the fact, listen, 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 listen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And there is a broken heart. And it is not an emotional broken heart, a spiritually broken heart before God. And we are in that on a train wreck. And he is letting them know they have a cardiac problem. I don't think the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to know. I actually don't think they cared. Because we're going to see them later in the story of Christ. And we're not aware of a grand change. But there are a few. And I wonder if any of them were these. Who as time went on, they thought about what was going on in their own heart. And they saw a big heart problem. And saw the desperate need for a heart solution. Next week, the solution. Lord, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for the time together in your word. And God, I just pray that uh, you would draw us and you would do a work in our hearts in a way that only you can do. God, thank you for truth. And I thank you for your compassion. Do a work in our hearts, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.